Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. It is great to be back another week. As you know, uh, I really love bringing on guests from different that bring a different perspective and come from different disciplines and angles and see life uh, from all different perspectives. And my guest today is is no different. Someone I deeply respect. I had the real pleasure of being on his podcast, uh, one of my favorite podcasts out there. Actually, uh, I think it was last year in the fall sometime. It was an amazing interview. He was an amazing interviewer. So gracious, generous. The questions were direct and penetrating, and, and so uh, I'm very excited to have him on today. He is the founder of Impact Theory with his business partner and wife, Lisa Billiou, and the aim of Impact Theory. Their aim is to influence the cultural subconscious by building a single-minded content creation machine. Check that for a mission, folks, uh, with one type of content, content to empower content to empower you, empower people. I'm looking forward to, to finding out more about that as well. He's also was one of the co-founders of Quest Nutrition, one of my favorite bars. I used to eat a lot of Quest bars and uh, serial entrepreneur. Welcome to Soul Talk, Tom Bilyeu. Tom, welcome. Thank, thank you for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. It's really great to, to have you on and uh, I really enjoyed my time with you on Impact Theory, one of my favorite interviews. You're an amazing interviewer and I have so much respect for who you are and, and uh, what you put out there in the world. And, uh, you know, I'm curious. I'm curious as I've just gotten to know you, you know, through that interview, uh, seeing some of your stuff out there. Uh, to me, you seem like someone who is incredibly disciplined, someone who you've really... Mm, you've just worked hard and you've studied and you've researched and you, you know, you brought science into the equation and you've really taken yourself from somewhere and you've, you've developed the skills with no excuses to craft yourself into who you are today. And for me, that's something I really respect. And, but I'm, I'm actually, I'm curious about like, what was your upbringing like? I'm curious about like, what was it like growing up? Because at least the little I know of you, it, doesn't seem it, it's, it doesn't seem like you were this way growing up. And so tell me a bit about like, what was it like growing up as Tom? Were you always this way? Was there a moment that the shift happened? Um, talk to me. I definitely was not this way as a kid. <laughs> there, there's no question about that. Um, the, my parents were amazing and, and I love them to death. However, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, from a generalized success standpoint, um, the easiest way to sum up what they taught me was to be a good employee, to keep my head down, do as little work as possible and avoid punishment at all costs. Mm. And that was how I came up. And my parents thought I was out of my mind when I said that I was going to go into um, being an entrepreneur. It just didn't it didn't resonate with them. They didn't understand it. They never wanted that for themselves. Um, you know, so it was such an unfamiliar world. So I did not grow up with anybody giving me the message that I needed to toughen up, that I needed to be harder, more focused. Um, I think they would have been very eager to see me be more disciplined. And I, I will say one thing my dad was ultra mm. hardcore about was work ethic. So I will mm. give my parents that in the bill, you household, you had to work. And what I learned from that when I was young, though, was how much I hated it and that I had no interest in it whatsoever and that I wanted to craft my life in such a way that things were going to be easy. Um, that, of course, is not how things ended up playing out. Um, but my, from the time I was 12, I had to have a job every summer. 
and that's technically illegal, as, as you may well know, with the U.S. <laughs> uh, child labor laws. So my parents did want me to work hard, but they never saw me as working for myself. They mm. you know, saw me as sort of plugging into a bigger system. Um, and, and it would only be you know, years and years later that I would thank my dad for making me do these sort of manual labor jobs year after year after year. Um, so one, I, I sort of knew how to suffer, even though at the time I didn't know how to contextualize it. Um, and, and certainly understood um, what real physical labor is. Was there a moment, though, when a light bulb turned on for you and like something clicked in uh, this sort of because when I see you, even, even in the interview we did, I, I see a hunger when I've seen you speak you know, let's say on YouTube or at an event, I, I see there's, there's a hunger that you have, a drive. And I'm wondering, when did that kick in? Was there something that occurred? Was there an event? Was there a turning moment? Because not everyone has that hunger and not everyone turns that on in this lifetime. So you, you've just happened? touched on two things that uh, I, am, I am very passionate about and I think a lot about. Number one mm -hmm. is hunger and number two is drive. And I will say that those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. So um, they, I've always been tremendously ambitious. I've always had huge dreams. So we'll call that the hunger. So I didn't earn the hunger. Um, I didn't earn my ambition. I've, I've always had that. The drive though, which is the willingness to see it through and to go from an empty dreamer to somebody who can actually develop the skill set that's going to be required to execute on those dreams and make them real, that I had to develop and that I did not have until deep into my 20s. And that's the thing I want people to really understand is both of them are a process. So some people might have a predilection towards the drive. They may, you know, just have a willingness to stick with things, you know, from the time they're very young. I did not. Um, and other people may um, have the hunger like I did and, and be ambitious and nobody has to train them to do that. But whether you're born with either of those, I'm here to assure you that you can develop either of them. They are both a process. So even if you didn't get an unnaturally large helping at birth, there are things you can do to ignite that. So um, I could say, you know, there's one moment in my life that I can point to and say, yeah, that was like a demarcation point where it was a huge lightning rod moment. I had a key realization. But for the most part, the vast majority of the traits that people would say are me were things that were developed very slowly over, you know, say a 15, 20 year period. So the, the one demarcation moment is the realization that what I built my self-esteem around mattered. So I had been building my self-esteem around being right, being smart, being worthy. Um, and in one very clear moment, I realized, oh my God, I'm arguing for a really stupid idea that's moving me away from my stated goal, a goal that I'd been telling everybody I was chasing. And the reason I was arguing for the stupid idea that was moving me away from my goal was simply because that idea was mine and I needed to be right. And I ended up winning the argument with my then, um, they were actually my employers at the time. They, they end up becoming my business partners, but at the time they were just my employer. And I remember thinking, oh God, what have I done? Like I've just convinced people of a wrong answer. I know it's wrong. There was a voice in my head screaming, shut up, stop. You know that this is a terrible idea. And I was so hungry to have a victory, to feel right, to feel smart, that I was moving myself backwards. And so I had this moment of clarity where I was like, okay, it's time to be honest about what you really want. Because if you really want, at the time, and this is terrible now, but at the time, my stated goal was to get rich. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. If, if you are just trying to get rich, then you need to shut up always pursue, you know, whatever ends up being the right answer or just admit that really isn't your goal. And your goal is just to feel good about yourself. And if you want to feel good about yourself, you need to immediately leave this company because the people around you are much smarter than you. And it's making you feel terrible about yourself. Um, but fine, no judgment. It was the one time where I was like really clear headed about not judging myself. And so I was just like, what is true for you? And I realized that there was actually a third option, which is that I could change what made me feel good about myself. And I could start to value myself for pursuing the right answer. And that ended up being a watershed moment. But that's really one of like, say, yeah. 25 
watershed moments that yeah. happened at completely random times. Many of them I don't even remember. They just sort of crept in slowly or I read them in a book. And, you know, so it's, it has been a, a lifelong pursuit to cobble together a mindset that is effective mm. as defined by its ability to move me towards my goals. The process. You talked about um, the hunger can be developed and the drive can be developed. And so let's say someone here, they have a hunger issue. They just, they, they just don't have the hunger, but they would like to have the hunger. What can you say that would help them access that, develop the hunger? And for someone who, let's say, they don't have the drive in terms of that ability to stay motivated and follow through, uh, what can that person do to, to sort of develop the drive? All right. Anybody listen to this, take out pen and paper. Uh, it drives me crazy when people are asked questions in a podcast and they can't give you like how to instruction. So I'm going to literally give you the step-by-step -step manual on how to build um, hunger or what I'll refer to as ambition and how to build drive. Awesome. So the way that you build hunger goes like this. So you are having a biological experience that is incredibly important to realize that you are the product of just an unimaginable amount of evolution. And once you understand the strategy that the human species has chosen as its strategy to make sure that you have kids that have kids, um, then you will begin to understand how to matrix style manipulate the code of the matrix, which is just a fancy way of saying your brain is creating a virtual environment for you. So mm -hmm. if, you can, if you can buy into that truth and if the matrix gives you the metaphor to access that truth, then, then we'll be well on the way. But um, Br uh, Brian, David Eagleman um, is a famous neuroscientist, and he said something that cut to the heart of me, which is your brain is encased in total darkness. Sound waves never touch it. Light um, photons never reach your brain. And once you understand that and you go, well, wait a second, I perceive light. I, I'm looking out at the world and I see things. I don't bump into them. So obviously this is all accurate. If you recognize that that actually isn't the truth. The truth is the number of photons reflecting off of a surface. That's, that's objective truth. But you don't perceive that. What you perceive is blue, red, dim, bright. And so your brain is creating this virtual environment and it, it puts in a whole lot of things. Um, emotions, good, bad, anxiety, stress, all of these things are designed again to get to have children that have children. Okay. So if we know that that is what our brain is designed to do, it's designed to keep us safe and alive long enough. And you begin to learn the rules of the heuristics, the rules of thumb that it's using. One of them is just the pleasure principle. It's going to incentivize things that lead towards that, you know, safety, security, and having kids. Um, it makes those things pleasurable and anything that puts that at risk, it makes it painful so that you move away from pain and you move towards pleasure. Okay. The hunger desire is actually an intensely pleasurable emotion. So it feels great. This is dopamine. This is a cocaine addiction. This is the early stages of love, which mm. by the way, the early stages of love on an fMRI machine are indistinguishable from somebody who's just taken a bump of cocaine. So let that sink in. So your brain has this mechanism to make sure that when something amps you up, it captures your imagination. You want it. You're, you are literally captured by that thing. So now it becomes merely a question of how do we hijack that neurochemistry so that we can point the process, the, the neurochemical soup of desire at something that is beneficial to us. And again, I will define beneficial as that which moves us towards our goals. So when I get done talking, you're going to realize picking the right goal is, is insanely important. But for now, to build the ambition, we just need to hijack the part of our brain that evolution has given us that makes hunger, anticipation, want, desire, the, the very mechanism that makes that exciting. We're going to co-op that to get us excited about something that we want to move towards. And the way that you do that is by repeating in your head that you like it. That's number one. Number mm -hmm. two, repeat to other people that you're excited about this thing, that you want to do it. And then number three is going to be embodying the passion. So you're going to feel, you're going to actually feel the excitement of that thing. So I will give you a very concrete example from my own life. Mm. 
I thought Quest was going to be my forever company. So I'm trying to end metabolic disease. That's all I'm thinking about day and night. I'd already gone through the process of building that desire by associating that with my mom and my sister and wanting to save them because they were morbidly obese. Now, all of a sudden, I'm switching over to building the next Disney. Now, how do I build enough desire for that that I'm going to keep fighting long enough to actually make this come to fruition. So Churchill said that success is the ability to go from failure to failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Now, the way that you do that is by building up this excitement, by co-opting the neural mechanisms of want, of desire. And so now I start by saying, okay, I need to switch this over. So I realize that I have this battle that I'm going to have to fight in my life so that I end up having a very visceral, so body emotional level um, response to my mission. So I write my mission. My mission is to make sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset and to do that all through entertainment. Okay, so now I have my goal. I've been very careful to pick a goal that's worth fighting for. Now I need to associate emotion with that. Mm -hmm. So one is having a um, something in my real life, especially if you can associate it in a, in a truthful and honest way with somebody you know and care about, that can be very powerful. So um, just like at Quest, I had associated what I was trying to achieve in business to my mom and my sister. Now I was going to associate what I was trying to achieve with impact theory with a couple different groups of people, people that I knew intimately, I could picture their face and say their names and all that mm. stuff. One was a kid that I big brothered for. Um, so right now in the US, your zip code is the number one predictor of your future success. Mm. So I had big brothered for this kid. I failed to break that chain for him. I was too young and stupid. I just didn't know how, I didn't even know that was the problem I needed to overcome. So all I needed to do was love him. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't enough to sort of save him from those circumstances. So mm. I start repeating in my head that I had failed him. So I'm beginning to reframe this. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that will derail and I'm not going to go into that because I want to stay focused yeah, on yeah. just how to build this drive. Yes. So it's, it's the, sorry, the hunger. We'll get to drive in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, so to, to create this um, excitement over this um, ambitious thing that I'm, I'm chasing. I'm repeating in my head, I've associated it to that person and other people at Quest that I felt were on a, a similar path and I wanted to help. So I now have a, a, an emotional thing that, that's going to be a key component of drive in a minute. Um, and I start repeating in my head that that's my mission. I'm going to make sure nobody gets to the age of 15. It matters because of, you know, these kids in my life. And then the next part was I started telling other people, hey, everybody, I'm going to build the next Disney. And this is why I'm going to build the next Disney. So now congruence kicks in. So not only am I saying it to myself, I'm saying it to other people. And there's a phrase in neuroscience, neurons that fire together wire together. So through this process of repetition, I'm, I'm now wiring regions of my brain to make this just a, a very frequent thought that I'm thinking. And now the next step is I'm going to embody it. So as I tell people, hey, this is what I'm going to do, as I um, relay the why of this whole situation, and I'm remembering these people that I'm trying to help, I'm, I'm getting enthusiastic. Like I can do it on a dime. So I'll, I'll do it for you right now. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that is critically important to me is I cannot live in a world where your zip code is determinant of your future success. That fucking drives me crazy. Like mm. there, there's this thing called an animus. An yeah. animus is the thing that animates you. And the thing that animates me is living in that world. And I have the chills right now, simply mm. because I'm man, mm. you can't see me. And this, it would be more powerful if you could see me because I'm yeah. moving around more. I'm sitting up straighter. I'm bouncing. Mm. I'm changing my, the, the way that I'm modulating my voice and that people mm. will be able to pick up on. And I'm, mm. I've literally just decided to do this. I flipped that switch in my head right when I said I'm going to do this for you I flip that switch now your brain is going to justify your mm. embodied emotion so if you get hysterical about somebody cutting in front of you in line then your brain's going to go shit this must really matter because we're getting really hopped up about this mm. conversely if you're like it's all good no worries mm. your brain goes oh well, I guess that wasn't that big of a deal anyway. And so you just forget about it. Now, mm -hmm. if that, that was one of those things where when I read the study on that, how embodied emotion impacts your brains, the way that it files that event away, I thought, yeah. oh my God, here's an area where I can co-op this. Mm. So oh. that's, that's what you're doing. You're, you're 
saying, hey, I'm having a biological experience. My brain does certain things. Which of those certain things can I co-opt to use to, you know, this great effect? So Mm -hmm. that's how you build desire. You're saying it internally, you're saying it externally, and you're embodying it. Now, over time, as you repeat this over and over and over, as soon as I say, I'm building the next Disney, I just, Mm -hmm. I literally just saying that I got the chills again. So because I've spent so much time associating that with these people that I care deeply about, I spent Mm -hmm. so much time saying, I'm not willing to live in a world where your zip code, you know, dictates Mm -hmm. your future success. And because I invest this much energy in repeating it associated with all the psychic energy of how I feel about these Mm. people. And I, and I don't mean that in a a woo -woo way. I mean it psychic energy is, is what happens when you can alter your neurochemistry, when you can secrete dopamine, when you um, think about something that you want. So anyway, when I say that, I I simply mean to understand the process by which you create the neurochemical baths that we all are awash in at all times, but you can nudge them in in different directions. So Mm. anyway, you repeat that enough and it really starts to become real. And Mm. so it's, it is part of why people say fake it till you make it. I think a better way Mm. to say it would be to repeat it until you get the desired neurochemical response. Now it's not as sexy, but it's, it is more accurate. Okay. So that's, that's the science of desire. Now the step-by-step process on how to build drive. So drive has everything to do with that emotional anchor that we were using to build the, um, the hunger, but now we're going to use that to also begin to anchor ourselves on values and beliefs. Once you have the right set of values and beliefs, then you, you'll, your actions always follow your values and beliefs. And the only reason um, or the only way to go from empty dreamer, which is what you are if you have all the ambition in the world and not the drive to see it through, the, the thing that you have to do is translate your potential into mm. skill set. So skill set is the thing that stands between where you are today and where you want to go. That's it. It's skills, man. So mm. the, the human species shows adaptation and growth over being hardwired for everything. So a horse comes out 20 minutes later, it's doing all the things that a horse can do. Now, imagine if a baby came out and 20 minutes later, it could walk and run and take itself to the restroom and, um, you know, go out on dates. Like it, that sounds so patently absurd. And yet that's the, the choice of so many other species. Now, Mm -hmm. the reason that we have become the most dominant apex predator the world has ever seen is because we chose culture, aka learning, as the way that we were going to approach the world. So now that makes us beholden to adults for a tremendous amount of time. But Mm. because of that, we have these abilities to learn, to grow, to get better, and in this case, to change our beliefs, to change our values, that those will actually become embedded in our subconscious. So what's called the Mm -hmm. default mode network. So if you've ever driven to work and gone, how the hell did I get here? That's the default mode network. You do something so many times, it it truly falls into um, the the realm of the subconscious. I won't Mm -hmm. spend time going into the mechanisms of that, but they actually are there. Um, There is an evolutionary reason for it that has to do with calorie consumption and the brain being just a calorie consuming Mm -hmm. machine. Um, So it's always trying to offload things. So we're going to leverage that. So now we're saying, okay, we have this new anchor uh, to this person or people or, you know, whatever it is that you use that is your animating force. And then you're going to um, adopt certain beliefs. So one of the beliefs is there's a bunch, there's 25, which is why earlier I said that there were 25 things that I'd cobbled together. Um, But for now, I'll just say that the most important one is what I call the only belief that matters. The Mm. only belief that matters is that if you put time and energy into getting better at something, you will actually get better. Now, why is that the key component to drive? Because the reason most people don't try is they believe incorrectly that all of their talent and intelligence are fixed traits and that they can't get better, they can't get smarter, they can't become more talented, all of that is false, and you can. Now, we're not blank slates, about 50% of who you are is hardwired, never gonna be able to change it, but 50% is malleable. Mm -hmm. And it is insane the amount of change that you can create in your life with the 50% that's malleable. And there's an amazing quote, which is, you can't make a racehorse out of a pig, but you can make a really fast pig. (laughs) So if, if all people do is anchor on Look, you're an average human, that's absolutely fine, but the average human is extraordinary at adaptation, 
And that by pouring yourself into adapting your skill set and improving it, you can make your life unrecognizable. So that gives you that freedom as you have these grand dreams and you try to execute against these grand dreams and you run into a roadblock and that roadblock makes you feel badly about yourself because you realize that you're not smart enough to do what you want to do. You're not talented enough to do what you want to do. And that's where drive fails most people. And once you have the only belief that matters, which is that I can get better, when you hit that obstacle, you don't stop. You simply say, what do I have to get good at in order to overcome this obstacle? Now, it, it is even more complicated than that. But, but I will say, if you imbibe those two um, paths to developing your, um, your ambition and developing your drive, mm-hmm. you will be so much farther ahead of everybody else. And then we can talk about the other stuff once you, you sort of take those as far as you can take them. I love it. Let's say someone who maybe, uh, Tom, they, they've tried to get better. They, but, but what they've experienced, for whatever the reason, is constant failure. Just shit hasn't worked. They haven't been able to change. They haven't changed anything. So they're stuck on this, like they can't get, they can't get congruent within themselves truly with this belief, like I can actually change. I can actually get better. I mean, it's a night. Is there anything that that person that can't quite align with that belief, is there any way that they can shift that within themselves, that narrative so that they can, you know, like unlock the potential within themselves? Because I know there's some people that would like to get better, but they just, they just don't believe it because there's so many reference points in their lives for shit not working out. Yeah, the the easiest way is to say there is nothing in your life that would lead you to believe that that is true. Literally nothing. Now, they're going to say, well, what do you mean? I've tried and failed and tried and failed. And I will say, sure, your current skill set has already taken you as far as it's going to take you. So if you want to do something new, you have to develop a new skill set. So what kind of deliberate practice routine have you put in place to actually get better at the thing you want to get better at? Now, most people will see that not only do have they not put any sort of deliberate practice in place, they, they're not even sure what their actual goal is. If you know what your goal is, you should be able to write it down in a single sentence. And if you write something like make the world a better place, help people, win a gold medal, these are all so hopelessly vague um, that it, it, it's a non-starter. And that your problem is that you absolutely lack clarity. I've never met anybody who didn't think that they were unclear. Everybody thinks they're clear. Everybody thinks they know what they want until you ask them to write it down in a single sentence and they really struggle or the single sentence that they write is vague like the things that I just mentioned. So what I would say is since you have no evidence that this isn't true and um, that you know, we can sort of dismiss almost out of hand because failure does not mean that it's impossible to succeed. Failure simply means you do not yet have the skill set. So now I will say, look at your life and do you see evidence of things you've gotten better at? And if they say no, I will say, were you born with the ability to walk? And they will say no. Okay. Were you born with the ability to speak the language that you now speak so fluently as to take it for granted? No. Uh, Did you shit your pants when you were a baby? Yes. Okay. So we can already say you learned how to walk and you didn't fall down so many times ago. Well, I guess this just isn't for me. You just kept trying. You learned how to speak. You didn't stop at babbling and went, oh man, I'll never get this. You just kept going. And the only thing then that remains is do you believe that you've already reached the very end of what you're capable of improving on and that the old adage that you can't teach an old dog new tricks is true? And then I would either look for exam, you know, at that point it becomes specific. I would need to know the things that they tried and all that. Um, or I would just point them to the literature on neuroplasticity. So brain plasticity remains true until the day you die. Even when you are super old, um, your brain is making new neurons. You can put those new neurons in whatever part of your brain you're actively using. Um, And so it becomes a question of deliberate practice and use. Like, what are you actually doing Mm. to get better? Mm. Got it. How does someone know, like, you know, in a world of so many choices today, you know, you switch on social media, you see this person doing that. Wow, Tom has a podcast. Wow, that person's starting this company. And there's a plethora of freaking choices everywhere. Uh, it's like a attention deficit, you know. And so how does someone, how can someone truly discern um, what the right goals, what the right goals would be for them in this moment of their lives? Because I think I see a lot of people setting goals and I think some people are setting goals based on what, other, what they see other people doing or what their parents want or, or 
maybe unmet needs within themselves and maybe they achieve those goals and they're not fulfilled. And so how does one know what the right goals are and how to identify that? And then you talked about, you know, one's ability to define goals. So once you do identify, okay, here is truly the right goal for me. Uh, how can one craft those goals in a very clear, specific way in terms of writing them down? So there's, there's clarity within oneself. So um, the clarity part goes like this. You need to be able to write it down in such a way that you know the ex exact next step you need to take. Okay. So the example that I always give to people is um, if you say a goal like I want to win a gold medal and you think that you're being clear, I will say in what? The Olympics? Yes, mm -hmm. the Olympics. Fantastic. Winter or summer? Summer? Mm -hmm. Amazing. Swimming or tennis? Swimming? Love it backstroke, freestyle medley, like what are we talking about? Because until you know exactly, exactly what it is that you're trying to achieve, you don't know how to train. You don't know what skill set you need. Because if you're trying to win a gold medal in swimming and I put you on a tennis court and give you a racket, we are moving in the wrong direction. So this is where like, you just have to have a freakish level of clarity. And this yeah. is one of those, I, I need to like find a way to really get people to understand this because mm. Even so I have a school called impact theory university that I teach and it is hilarious to me that even students that have been in my class for months will still not realize how unclear in their own life they're being. So take for instance, Tom, I want to be great at business. I want to be the best. Amazing, man. That sounds fantastic. And what's stopping you? Well, you know, it just takes a lot of hours. My business is focused a lot on, you know, service. So it's like really high touch. And, and you know, I'm already spending a lot of time and I'm worried about, you know, missing my kids growing up. Okay, well, let me ask you, what's your highest priority? Your mm. kids or your business? Oh, my kids. Well, then motherfucker, like we're, we're having the wrong <laughs> conversation. Like, what is it that you really want to excel at? Because if you really want to excel at being the greatest dad of all time, then that's a whole different set of steps. The business becomes whatever leftover time you have. And mm -hmm. being clear about what you want, like there is no, to, to the first part of your question, there is no right or wrong answer. There is mm -hmm. only a joyful life and human suffering. So I will say that what anyone should be aiming at is fulfillment. Now, what is fulfillment? I think fulfillment is born of something very um, easy to define, even though it is, it thwarts people as they, you know, chase it. But it looks like this. The human animal, given, you know, we're having this biological experience and there's all these things that we're going to be rewarded and punished for doing. We're a very social creature. It comes out to something like this. We are driven to turn our potential into skill set. But then that skill set needs to be unique to us it needs to be hard to acquire and it needs to be something that allows us to serve ourselves as well as other people. If you do all of that, then you will develop fulfillment. So when you're pursuing something bigger than yourself and it requires you to work your ass off to get good at this thing that matters to you and now you're able to help people in a unique way, in a way that not everybody can help them, that is fulfillment. And fulfillment is insanely resilient. And even in the middle of doing very hard things and even suffering on the surface. So, you know, imagine training for the Olympics. You can imagine mm -hmm. the ungodly amount of suffering yeah. that goes into that. But the thought of inspiring, you know, a 12-year-old girl to, you know, work hard and chase after her dreams, like maybe that's the thing that just fucking lights you on fire. Mm -hmm. And that's where this becomes incredibly interesting. So getting people to structure their goals in a way that is most likely to lead to fulfillment that's the key. And then it needs to be something that gives you more energy than it takes away. So it needs to be something you care about, not what other people think you should care about, what you actually care about. So if that's playing video games, own it. If that's teaching, own it. If that's building a business, own it. Like whatever it is that you actually want to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I've seen stop people from pursuing what they really want or being who they really are, uh, this, this, this need for other people's validation, approval, this need to be liked. And I'm curious, you know, as a public figure, uh, host of Impact Theory, CEO, um, you put stuff out there. Uh, you're going to have all sorts of opinions and projections. And I'm wondering how you have dealt with that in your life, 
dealing with sort of unplugging yourself from uh, the need for other people's validation and approval. And because I think, I think that I see it stopping so many people, Tom, from truly just freaking going for it, you know? And so uh, share some thoughts there. I am so keenly aware that the name of the game is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself, Mm -hmm. that I play according to that. So the only thing that matters at the end of the day is how you feel about yourself. And when there's no one around to cheer you on or tear you down, just when you're in neutral, what do you think? Do you think you're doing the right things? And if you do, and then people come after you, again, I'm so aware of neurochemistry that I know that still sucks. Like there's no way um, as a human to not feel it when people are coming after you and they're saying that you're, you know, what you're doing is terrible. But if you really believe in your heart that you're fighting for the right thing and you know what your, um, your motives are and you know, like, man, I'm not saying I'm not also in this for myself. I am in this for myself and I wouldn't do this if it didn't also do something rad for me, but I really am trying to help people. If you know that it makes you so resilient to people coming after you. It doesn't mean that you don't feel it. Um, It just means that you're resilient to it. So building an anti-fragile mindset, meaning the more people attack you, the stronger you get, um, that is really the key. So my thing is, I just want to get better, man. I want to translate more of my potential into skill set. I know that I will do something honorable with my skill set. So I'm all about that. So if somebody tells me that I'm stupid or I'm doing something wrong, I, I feel better about myself for my willingness to stop and go, Hey, maybe they really have an insight. Maybe I really do need to listen and learn from this. Um, and when you do that, then it's, you're not worried about the attack on you. You're just thinking about, do they really have a key insight that can propel me forward? And if they do, then I'm going to take it. So it's just sort of a, it's a shift of what I build my self-esteem around, which as I said, was sort of the one lightning rod realization moment in my life. And then the other is just knowing we're all a chemical processing plant. And so, um, learning to, you're never going to be able to entirely control your neurochemistry, but understanding how to nudge it in directions that are more useful. So not thinking just because somebody tells you that you're a bad person, you actually are a bad person, like building a sense of self-worth, developing self-respect by doing hard things, um, you know, by showing up and, and fighting for your own goals and, and not giving up on yourself and doing the hard sort of psychological work to make sure that you're in a healthy place, dieting, exercising, I mean, things mm-hmm. to actually, you know, influence your neurochemistry, which I wish none of us had to think about, but is real when you think about, again, the fact that we're having a biological experience. Got it. Was there a, a time you felt, and you know, I know you built Quest and now Impact Theory, which I really love. Uh, was there a time you felt like giving up where you felt like, screw this, this is too hard? Um, is it worth it? Maybe question yourself. Because uh, I think uh, during this time right now, as, we go, uh, as we're faced with this you know, global pandemic and lockdowns, and I think a lot of people dealing with a sense of like, uncertainty and talk about neurochemicals going crazy inside, um, there may be a lot of people feeling like, just giving up, you know, and businesses going through difficulties and ups and downs. And so uh, I'd love to hear from your life if there was a moment you felt like, maybe even, you know, recently, was there a moment you felt like giving up? Or when was the last time? And, and like what, uh, I know you talked about the, the hunger and the drive, but like what keeps you from giving up? Because, you know, building, like you talk about the next Disney, that shit's not easy. I mean, that's not, that's huge. It's a big endeavor. And so, what keeps you from giving up? And what could, what could you also say to the person who they're going through this time right now, Tom, and they're like, fuck this. This is, this is too hard. My dreams, my hopes is trashed. 2020 is just killing me. I am, I'm about to throw it all in. And so uh, speak to that. So first of all, I um, never contemplate giving up more than twice a day. <laughs> so it look everybody wants to get rid of that negative voice it's not going yeah. away it has an evolutionary purpose better to use that um as a habit loop reminder or mm-hmm. habit loop trigger uh as they call it to think the positive things you need to think or to re um embody that uh animus that's got you fighting and to feel like who you're fighting for and what this is all about and reattach yourself to what your values are so like to me the very meaning of life 
is to see how much of my potential I can turn into usable skill set and then apply that skill set. And because I have a belief, going back to beliefs, that I can get better, it's always a question of, oh, 2020 is kicking people's asses? Well, fuck that. Like, I'm not going to frame 2020 like that. I'm going to say, cool, man, I love this. Take Jocko Willink's idea of some horrendous thing just happened. And all you do is say, good. 2020 is 10 pounds of ass. Good. Now we're going to see who really wants this. Now we're going to see who's gotten good at turning that ambition into real drive. Good, man. It's going to weed out the sick and the weak. And I'm going to be here and I'm going to pick up the slack and I'm going to keep going. Good, man. I'm going to lead people. I'm going to show people like that you can suffer, that you can feel low, that you can worry that you're not good enough and you can keep stepping up and facing that and keep going. And I want people, I want to lift other people up, man. This is my chance to like shine and show people. I've done all this hard work psychologically to make sure I can be there for people. Whatever it is that turns you on, find that, reframe all of this hardship and difficulty and Mm. go after it. Like, look, in times of great disruption is always the time of greatest opportunity because all those people that were quote unquote stopping you from succeeding, which is BS already. But even if you buy into that, it's like they all just got their ass handed to them too. So Mm -hmm. now it's like, what are you going to do? Like, this is your chance, baby. Everybody wants a solution. Are you going to provide it? We are desperately in need of leadership. You're going to provide it? Like, have you developed your skill set? Hey, you've got extra time. If nothing else, odds are you're not commuting. Use that time to improve your skill set. So to me, this is a game of reframing. This is a game of beliefs. This is a game of value system. It's ambition. It's drive. It's did you do the work through all those times to be able to go from failure to failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm? That's the name of the game. And if you value yourself for accomplishment, then you're screwed. But if you value yourself for the sincere pursuit of a goal that matters to you, Mm. then my friend, this is an amazing time. And every time's an amazing time. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean that everything, like I do not want to get a terminal cancer diagnosis. And I've always promised myself that if I ever get a diagnosis of something like that, I would give myself 30 days to mourn. At the end of the 30 days, It's kicking it back into high gear and remembering not only is tomorrow not guaranteed for me now without a terminal diagnosis, tonight is not guaranteed. I'm not guaranteed to live to the end of this podcast. So it's like once you embrace that, then it's just like, well, you live with reckless abandon in a way that fills your day with as much joy as humanly possible. And that Mm. goes back to build a set of skills that is really hard, unique to you, that matters to you, that helps not only you, but other people. If you just live relentlessly in service of that, by the realities of evolution, Mm. you will feel good about yourself. Mm. Yeah, I love it. What are some of the, uh, I I love this belief you've mentioned a few times, Tom. Uh, I can get better, like no matter what, I can get better. I think that's so empowering. Uh, I'm curious for you, as you look at your own life, you look at your own experiences, what are some of the, the beliefs that you, when you look at yourself, you would say, I don't know if there's five or six or 10 of them or how, however many you, you can decode for us, that you would say, here are the key beliefs that I, Tom, you know, operate by that have made me, me successful. Like here is the, the, the code to my belief system. I'm wondering if you could decipher that, share that with us. Yeah, this, um, it feels a bit like a setup because I, <laughs> I've literally written these down. So for anybody that Perfect. wants to um, check these out, you can find them on my website. Uh, if you just type Tom Bilyeu belief system, Google will uh, take you right there. Um, so I don't know if you want me to just, there's 25. I can I would love to hear them quickly I, through them all or. Yeah, share them. I, I had no idea you had them on your website. So this is awesome. All right. So I'll go quickly so we don't eat up too much time. And then if there's anything that uh, in there you want to go deeper on, we can. So number one, human potential is nearly limitless. Mm. Number two, personal growth is the highest priority of impactivists is what I say there, but for anybody, it should be their highest priority. Um, Number three, you can acquire new skills in any area at any time. Number four, it requires focus and disciplined practice to acquire new skills. Number five, you can do anything you set your mind to without limitation. Number six, number five is a lie, but it's an empowering lie. (laughs) And you should do and believe that which empowers you. 
Number seven, it doesn't matter who you are today. It only matters who you want to become and how hard you're willing to work to become that person. Number eight, see beyond your current self to the opportunity of becoming the best version of yourself. Number nine, the impact theory community is a safe place to make mistakes. Uh, so to make that personal, don't be afraid to make mistakes. And there's more beliefs on mistakes later. Uh, but make sure that your life is set up in such a way that you feel safe in making them. Number 10, mistakes are a great teacher for those who are willing to admit that they've made one. 11, share the lessons you've learned from your mistakes with others. 12, failure is temporary. Move quickly beyond it. Number 13, everyone has something to teach you. Learn from whomever you can. Number 14, impactivists do not make excuses ever, so just don't make excuses ever. Uh, 15, any obstacle can be overcome. See number 14, which is don't make excuses. Mm -hmm. 16, building your self-esteem around being right all the time will lead to poor decision-making. I gave an example of that earlier. 17, build your self-esteem around identifying the right answer and pursuing it faster than anyone else. 18, have very clear goals. 19, do that which moves you towards your goals. 20, do not do that which moves you away from your goals. Uh, that one felt important enough to sort of say the same thing in two different ways. 21, only work in an environment that is moving you towards your goals. 22, um, you should be a linchpin and linchpins are people who work hard, smart, and long hours. Um, 23, passion will help you keep fighting to reach your goals when things get difficult. Center your life around your passion. Um, 24, motivate and inspire those around you and 25 adhere to the physics of progress which is um it's a nod to something that would take me a, a fair amount of time to go into but it's basically the scientific method so um there is a gap between where you are now and where you want to be identify the obstacle the impediment that stands between you and where you want to be um, generate an informed hypothesis on what you would have to do to overcome that impediment, do that thing and see if it worked. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, um, go through the data to figure out why it didn't so that you can, as Henry Ford would say, um, failure is merely the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. I love how practical, strategic, you know, pragmatic, uh, those beliefs and those keys were. It's awesome. Uh, you mentioned in there about mistakes a few times. Uh, I'm curious, as you look back on your life, if you could maybe story or share an experience of, let's say, looking back, something that was a mistake for you. Obviously, you learned from it, but let's say, what was, what was your biggest, biggest mistake that you feel you've made that you go, shit, man, I, re I really wish I had done that differently, and, and I'd love to hear what your biggest lessons or learnings that you took away from that experience was that you could share with us so we could learn from that and hopefully either not make it or navigate it differently. The biggest mistake I've, I've ever made in my life is very much believing that my talent and intelligence are fixed traits. Um, mm. And that, that caused a, a tremendous amount of suffering in my life up until probably I was about 26 um, so that would be the one thing, like when people ask, what would you go back and teach your younger self? Mm. Uh, that, that would be it. So that would be the thing I would most want people to sort of learn and take away from beyond that. It's just understanding, um, reframe the way that you think about mistakes and failure. Um, if you think about it like artificial intelligence, so in artificial intelligence, um, the way that they get, uh, basically machine learning to happen, let's say in video games is they, um, put a, um, an AI on a video game breakthrough was sort of the earliest one that just showed insane results. It's an old Atari game. And all they told the AI was you want to get the highest score possible. They didn't tell it the rules of the game, nothing. And so what you see is the AI understands that it can move this paddle back and forth. And it understands that there's like this moving ball and it understands that there are these bricks, but it has no idea what will bring it points. And so it begins just by wiggling the bar back and forth. And then one time it accidentally makes contact with the ball and the ball goes up and hits one of the bricks and it realizes, aha, that's how I get points. Now, all of the wiggling back and forth, it didn't see as failure or mistake. It's referred to in artificial intelligence research as a sample, meaning I tried something and I got a result. That sample action taught me something. And 
if you can in your own life think of it the same way, like, hey, I want to win my gold medal or I want to climb up in my company or I want to be the best parent, whatever. You try something and did it work, meaning did it move you towards your goal or not? And if it did, amazing, then we're on the right path. If it didn't, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. I wouldn't even think of it as a failure. It's just a sample. You tried something. You got data. And so I'm always trying to convince people that failure is the most information-rich data stream that exists. So Mm. literally, if you're analyzing your failures, meaning you're looking at those samples and you're learning the lessons, you're accumulating that data, then the more mistakes you make, the faster you will progress. So it's not a game of trying to avoid mistakes. It's trying to intelligently try things that may have a high degree, uh, high potential for failure, but in trying them and then analyzing the results, that's the key. In analyzing the results, you improve your knowledge, which is you know the same as improving your skill set. And now you get better and you can begin again more intelligently and you just try it over and over. So I am always trying to put myself in a position where I'm taking bold swings at things, not worried mm. at all about whether I fail. And mm. because I know I'm just going to analyze the data and yeah. that, that becomes hugely important. So because I live in the world of business, I'm constantly doing things that when you look back on, you're like, oh, okay, that was clearly a mistake. So I, mm. um, I ran a clip strategy on my YouTube page. That was just absolutely horrendous failure. <laughs> um, and so that was sort of a, a recent one that I made that had real financial implications and all of that. Um, I am terrible at investing money. So it's like, I'm sure I've missed, um, I'm protective, so I haven't lost money, but I have failed to make upside in huge ways. And I'm constantly being admonished by my, Mm. um, my money manager. But my thing is like, maybe it is a mistake and you know, I can be learning from that. Um, Mm. but it's like, you just have to pick a strategy, try it and then analyze. And so, Mm. you know, that's the key. Just analyze, analyze, analyze. Yeah, I love that because it, it, when you look at it that way, it takes the sort of personal judgment out of it, you know, and like, uh, it's, a, it's a great way to look at things. Tom, last, last few questions. Uh, I, I'm curious about this. Um, as someone who's really driven, um, yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to, to, to meet Lisa, your wife, but I've you know, seen interviews, I've seen her doing interviews, and I've seen you together, you know, in interviews, and it really feels like you, you, you both have a a really beautiful connection and, and flow and, and, and deep, you know, love and, and, and connection together. So I'm curious, uh, what are some of the most important elements you would say? Uh, I guess there's a few questions in one. What, firstly, what are some of the most important elements in um, choosing a spouse and life partner that you could uh, share with us in terms of, for those that are ch- wanting to be in relationship, wanting to build something as entrepreneurs, how do they determine the right life partner? Ooh, okay. So <laughs> we're, we're on a big topic, my friend. So you're, you're on the right path. So first of all, selection is the single most important part of this. The most important part of selection, I would say, is a willingness to develop a growth mindset. So if they don't mm-hmm. already have one, fair enough. I didn't have one either. Um, but both my wife and I, despite not having growth mindsets when we got married, we were both, Mm. as soon as we began, and of course back then, like um, Carol Dweck had not written her seminal book, Mindset, so we didn't have this language, but we both knew that we wanted to get better. And so that has served us incredibly, incredibly well. Um, Being a good communicator is incredibly important. A willingness to be honest is incredibly important. A willingness Mm -hmm. to be honest, even when it's hard, is incredibly important. Trust is such a critical part of feeling good in your relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, A willingness to basically write down the rules of engagement in your life so that you guys have agreement on how you're going to approach um, arguments, how you're going to approach raising kids, how you're going Mm. to approach money. Like there are just some blocking and tackling basics, nuts and bolts kinds of things that people need to get on the same page about. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you don't have to share all of your values, but there, yeah. there are just certain core values that you want to make sure you're aligned on. And then I would understand sort of the, the big five personality traits. And there are certain personality traits that, that are really going to clash. And you mm-hmm. want to be aware of those. You can have some, like my wife and I clash hard on, I am not orderly at all. 
And she, mm. she walks right up to the line of OCD. And so, mm. and we still, after 20 years of being together, we will still collide on that because mm. it is so foundational to who we are in opposite directions. And so mm-hmm. thankfully that one's relatively minor and we can build in rules of engagement around, like I don't leave my socks and underwear lying around. And mm-hmm. she doesn't ask me to keep my spaces, you know, to her liking. So it's, yeah. you, you come up with a way that's sort of functional where it's like shared spaces done to sort of a minimum standard. And mm-hmm. it's, um, I don't ask her to clean. Um, so it's like, it's not like I'm saying, Hey, I get to be messy, but you need to be clean. And mm. she doesn't get to ask me to clean beyond what we've agreed is sort of the baseline acceptable. Mm. Um, a willingness to compromise is huge. So, and then, Hey, another one big, make sure that you, um, understand the power of sexual intimacy because yeah. the moment that dies, you are screwed. Mm. Yeah. Um, you le- you're leaving me uh, really curious now, Tom. I hope, hope it's okay to ask how, 20 years, that's a long time. How, how have you kept the, the chemistry, the, the, the romance? You talk about sexual, you know, how have you kept that? How do you keep that alive for that long? I'm, I'm going to come back to the answer, and I hope that this becomes a breakthrough for everybody in your audience yes. when they hear just how many weird places this crops up. You are having a biological experience. Mm-hmm. That to me is code for understand your brain. If you don't understand how your brain works, how it manipulates you, how it creates things that you will mistake for being real that are entirely Mm. subjective, Mm. then you you become a slave to your emotions, which Mm. don't ever allow yourself to be a slave to your emotions. Your emotions are not real. They are not objective truth. And we're in a very weird place in the world right now where people are mistaking that because they have an emotion, then it must be true. That is not a useful way to move through life because it will not move you towards your goals. So my thing is we understood, oh man, my brain is going to totally screw with me. So I better figure out in what ways I better find ways um, around that. So I'll give you a classic one. The beginning of a relationship, if you fall in love, is, like I said earlier, in an fMRI, you cannot see the difference between somebody who takes a bump of cocaine (laughs) and somebody who's around that new fiery love that they have. Mm. So if we know that the the sort of dopamine cascade, the vasopressin that gets released, the oxytocin, like it's crazy. And that's going to go away. So at the beginning of our relationship, when we were at the height, we were in the grips of like, oh my God, like I can't bear the thought of being away from this woman for even 30 minutes. Mm. And at the height of that, I said to her, hey, I understand neuroscience well enough to know this will not last forever. Mm. And so we better have strategies for how to lean into the new, beautiful, long-term committed love that comes out of this on the other side for people that know how to navigate the transition. So I'm not going to act like a drug addict. I'm not going to um, long for the days when that's what it felt like. I'm going to focus on and celebrate and be excited about how this love is turning into something stable, how it's becoming Mm -hmm. this, like, I would lay down my life for you. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to going to commit to each other. So not like I told my then girlfriend, now wife, Hey, just so you know, I'm always going to find other women attractive. And just so Mm -hmm. you know, I know you're always going to find other men attractive. So you don't Mm -hmm. have to fake it. You don't have to pretend like that's just the truth of the human condition. So Mm -hmm. I want you to know I'm not with you because I think you're the hottest woman on earth. I'm never going to trade you in for a newer model because I'm with Mm -hmm. you because I want to share my life with you. Mm -hmm. And sharing my life with you is the only thing that must be done in real time. And so even if as you get older, there is somebody younger um, that's more attractive than you that is coming on to me, I don't give a shit about that because I haven't Mm -hmm. shared my life with them. I haven't spent the last 50 years like learning who they are ups and downs and being there for each other and having opportunities to lift Mm. each other up and Mm. just like, man, there's nothing more rad than sharing a life with somebody and trusting Mm. them. Like that's values, right? Your values Mm. will guide your behavior like your beliefs will. And Mm. I value that. And I lean into that value. And I repeat to my wife that that's Mm. what this is about. And so she knows like no one, my wife, classic, my wife, we were at a hotel one day and they were having a party. This is like the Roosevelt (laughs) hotel here in Hollywood. And we were taking her sister there as um, her sister was from England. So we're all at the pool. We're having a good time. And my wife taps me on the shoulder. And there were these two women that were suddenly topless. And we're like, what the (laughs) hell is going on? And it was my wife that pointed that out to me. And 
And my wife is like, I'm not jealous of that. She was like, it was weird. Like I, I wanted you to see this weird thing that was happening. And so <laughs> my, my wife is because she knows I have committed to her. Yes, it is yeah. so valuable to me to mm. love her and to share this life with her that, Hey, look, my wife is hot and I am enjoying her beauty while it lasts. But someday, God mm -hmm. willing, she's gonna be 98 and a bag mm -hmm. of wrinkles. And mm -hmm. at that point, I want her to know when I turn to you and I say, I find you beautiful, that I really mm -hmm. mean it because that beauty is something more than just the physical attractiveness. Yes, a younger woman is also can be very hot, and but you don't have to worry about me doing mm -hmm. anything that would damage mm -hmm. this life that we've shared. And when you have that, it's, it is, anti-fragile, right? Yeah, because the more yeah, time we spend yeah. together, the more I want to be with her. And yeah. so, whereas saying that I only have eyes for you, it's like, that's some bullshit. Everybody mm -hmm. knows it's bullshit because mm -hmm. we're all pulled by evolutionary forces to find mm -hmm. certain things desirable. Mm -hmm. I love it, man. Tom, thank you for sharing that. That was, that was some, some deep, I felt the depth of the, of the love, the deepening of the love and, uh, you're romantic, man. You know, I mean, not romantic on the superficial sense, but there's a deep, uh, I feel in that description, I really felt the depth of your heart, the depth of your honor, the depth of your uh, devotion to the process of loving. And it was really uh, beautiful to feel. So thank you for, for sharing. Um, thank you, man. Final question. Uh, shared a lot and I really want to thank you for just all that you shared and you've been so generous with so much practical applicable wisdom in today's soul talk uh, some of this might overlap but I'd love for you just to maybe just take a review of your life and uh, this can just be across the map you can shoot from the hip uh, if you were just to review your life ups downs successes failures uh, regrets wishes wants desires uh, if there were, let's say, the three, three most important life lessons that, uh, and again, you may have shared some of these, some other things may pop into mind, uh, that you, if you could only pass these three things on to the next generation, that you feel this would evolve the next generation of kids and their kids and, you know, evolutionary, uh, evolutionarily the most. I'm curious what your three uh, life lessons would be that you feel would evolve the souls of the next generation the most. I'm wondering if right, there's anything number, different. Number one, the growth mindset thing. You can get better yeah. at anything. That is so important to know. Number two, become unflappable. Just, just mm. absolutely unstoppable. Hold yourself to the most ungodly standard and go after it every day to get better in every way, shape, and form. Value improvement to like an obsessive psychotic level. And then number three, love intensely. Like friends, family, uh, a lover, whatever. But man, to miss out on loving other people, woof, that would be really, really gnarly. You put those three things together, that, that is a magical cocktail. Amazing growth mindset, become unflappable, love intensely. Tom, can you assign everyone listening in like a, a simple practical homework assignment, something that they can do immediately, an actionable thing, one thing that they can go do right now just to sort of implement what you've been saying? Is, is there anything that comes into mind? Yes, many things. Number one, write your goals down. Nice. Just crazy, crazy specifically. Get very, very clear. By when, how much, like, what is it very specifically that you were trying to accomplish? Um, that would be the big one. And then things that they're just not sexy, but they, they, they will change your life in ways that only the simple things can. Meditate at least five days a week. Yeah. Get your diet right. It, the, the amount that it impacts your microbiome and the amount your microbiome impacts your um, anxiety, depression, ability to experience joy, longevity, it's, I don't want it to matter, but it really matters. <laughs> it um, exercise, take care of your body. Part, part of becoming unflappable is realizing how you can um, strengthen yourself. And if you want to believe in the ability to strengthen your mind, strengthen your body first, because one, you're going to have to strengthen your mind in order to suffer enough to strengthen your body. Um, and then two, it is just so powerful to watch your body change. Yeah. Um, it's also one of the hardest things you will ever do. And that will make you resilient. Like when you ask me, you know, what makes me resilient to other people, the amount of change I've been able to make in my own life. It's like, I, I just, mm. I've, I've shown up for myself 
day in and day out for decades. And mm-hmm. way. yeah, showing up for yourself day in, day out, that makes, I mean, it, it develops an internal relationship that becomes unshakable and it makes all the difference. So awesome folks, you heard the homework assignment from Tom, write your goals down, meditate, diet, show up for yourself, all amazing things. Tom, I have absolutely loved this interview, man. It's one of my favorite Soul Talk interviews. Uh, what's the best way that people can find out about you and your work and, you know, Impact Theory University, best website, please share. Um, for Impact Theory University, <clears throat> yeah, just go to impacttheory.com. Um, for me socially, go to YouTube forward slash Tom Bilyeu. Awesome. Folks, we'll put all of the, uh, the links in the show notes and thoroughly encourage you to check out uh, Tom's amazing work and one of my favorite podcasts. I look forward to being back on at some point, Tom. Uh, thanks for coming on. Say hi to Lisa. I haven't had the opportunity to meet her, but uh, uh, she's an inspiration as well. Folks, I this was an amazing, sure. amazing interview. Uh, do me a favor, everyone. Send me an email, kublaxon at kublaxon.com. I would love to know your key takeaways from today's session. I'm sure you have lots of notes. I have like 12 pages of notes from this interview. Uh, let me know your key takeaways and also... Uh, how things flow from writing down your goals specifically from Tom's homework and uh, share this episode with friends and family subscribe and I'll catch you in next week's episode of soul talk love now everyone blessings if you've enjoyed this episode of soul talk please do share the podcast with all of your friends let everyone know and make sure you download soul talk today I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you meanwhile follow me on Facebook Instagram or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at cooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.